This is Couch and Coffee Table. I'm Michael Perry. Today, we're wrapping up our $6 million man week here on the couch. And let's just go ahead and get right to it. Our first story up in our series today is The Haiti Connection. Outside the embassy of a small Caribbean nation in Washington, D.C., on a warm summer evening, the police have cordoned off the building and are busy keeping the crowd back. All right, all right, stay back. You two, over there. Hey, where do you think you're going? I'm Steve Austin, officer, on official business. Oh, Colonel Austin, didn't recognize you. I've been assigned to look into this thing. Okay, Colonel, go right in. All right, folks, move along, move along. Hi, Oscar. What's it all about? Steve, this is Police Commissioner Anderson. Let him fill you in. Last night, we had a homicide at a small company called Caribbean Exports. Uh, an employee named Rodriguez found shot to death. We looked Rodriguez up, but found nothing on him. What about Caribbean Exports? Uh, it's a relatively new corporation with a branch in Haiti. Seems to be a legitimate trading company. Sounds like a regular police matter to me. Uh, that's what we thought until tonight. Another man murdered? A minor official of the embassy. Delani's his name. Found dead under almost identical circumstances. Bullet probably from the same gun that killed Rodriguez. Got to be a connection between them. It seems pretty obvious, but uh, where do we come in? NASA has been working with Navy on a new short-range underwater missile. Yeah, I'm familiar with the project. And we've been making arrangements with officials at this embassy for the use of their territorial waters for laying underwater cables and other things connected with the test launch. And you think these murders may somehow be related to the missile project? It's a possibility that we can't ignore. Delaney was the secretary of one of the men we're working with. That's why I thought OSI should be called in. To be on the safe side, Steve, I want you to go down to Haiti. You be an American businessman in the export-import line looking for new items to buy. The next day, at a cafe in a small town on the south coast of Haiti, three executives of Caribbean Exports sit at a sidewalk table. I still think it was a mistake. So do I. There must have been some other way. There's no other way. Rodriguez and Delana had to be silenced before they talked to the authorities. But murder, it would have been better to give them the bigger cut they wanted. There's plenty for everybody. And the worst part is, and now we got the OSI looking into it. When I heard that from my embassy contact, I came right down here. Listen, don't worry about it. Everything is go for tonight. The boat's in position and the diving equipment and divers are all set. The whole operation will be completed before they have a chance to find out what we're up to. And then we take off for Brazil with a cool $20 million. $20 million? Yeah, that's cool. Returning to their office, they're about to walk into the reception room when Breck grabs Maddox by the arm. That man in there, that's Steve Austin, OSI. Are you sure? No mistake. I've seen him in Washington more than once. All right. Okay, just play it cool. I'll handle him. Oh, Mr. Maddox, this gentleman has been waiting for you. Well, how do you do? 
My name is Maddox, president of Caribbean Exports, and this is Mr. Breck and Mr. Ortiz. Glad to know you, Mr. Maddox. Gentlemen, I'm Steve Benson, purchasing agent for Texas Foods Incorporated. I'd like to talk to you about a sugar and coffee deal. You see... Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Benson. You, you came at a bad time. We're closing for the day. Oh, that's too bad. Uh, but tell you what. Let's make it for tomorrow. We can have lunch together and talk business at the same time. That'll be fine. Say, uh, just thought of something. If you're not busy this evening, how'd you like to attend a voodoo ceremonial worship? Aren't those things supposed to be secret? Sure, but I know Papa Mungo very well. He'll admit anyone I vouch for. Yeah, sounds like fun. When and where do we meet? Well, there's a little square on the edge of town. Can't miss it. Make it at nine and we'll go into the jungle. You're in for a real treat. As Steve walks out, Maddox, Breck, and Ortez go into their office and shut the door. Maddox, are you crazy? Tonight's the night we wrap up the whole thing. Crazy like a fox. What better way to make sure that Austin is out of our way? Back at his hotel, Steve calls Washington. I think we're on the right track, Oscar. They're cooperating so nicely, though I got a feeling they might be on to me. Be careful, Steve. If they know or suspect... Don't worry, I can take care of myself. Any idea of what they're up to? Who they're working for? Not exactly, but I do know they've got a rented boat anchored out in the bay with an easy range of the missile test area. Well, Navy's ready. They'll wait for word from you. It is 9 o'clock that night. Steve meets Maddox, who leads him along a narrow path into the jungle. Suddenly, they come to a clearing lit up by torches. In the center of a circle of worshippers stands Papa Mongo. Maddox goes to him. This is the evil man I told you about. You know what to do? Papa know what to do. Benson, it's okay. Come, sit over here. Fine. The ritual drums set up a throbbing rhythm, and the ceremony picks up in intensity. Papa Mungo, as though in a trance, stands rigid in the center, eyes seemingly shut. Suddenly, he utters a piercing scream and starts a strange ritual dance. This is the cue for Maddox. He slips into the jungle, thinking that all eyes would be on the voodoo priest and that he couldn't be seen beyond the circle of torches. But he didn't count on the powerful vision of the bionic man. Maddox, heading into the jungle, toward the beach. I got to follow him. He starts to get up, but is restrained by two men beside him. You know go. Realizing the whole thing was a trap set for him, Steve breaks away from the two men. But in seconds, the whole circle is on him. And in the fight that follows, he is finally clubbed into unconsciousness. About an hour later, on board the chartered schooner South Seas, just off an uninhabited part of the coast. The divers should be in the cabin by now. Can't get this thing over too soon for me. Those OSI men breathing down my neck make me real nervous. Never could figure out why they're involved in this, but it's the Haiti police I'm worried about even more. Forget it. In an hour or less, we'll all be rich and on our way. Hey, there's a signal from the divers. Haul up the line. In a short time, the objective of the whole operation sits on the deck of the schooner, an 18th century treasure chest from a sunken Spanish galleon. Got it! It's open! Look at that! $20 million worth of Spanish gold and jewels. And it's all ours! Beautiful! Here come the divers. Give me a hand with them. Toughest diving assignment I've ever had. Almost couldn't get in the cabin. Yeah. Had to cut through some heavy cable wires blocking the... They blocking the entrance. 
Cable wires? There shouldn't have been any cable wires down there. Last time you were down, a month ago, the cabin door was clear. Now I think I understand what's going on. Remember two weeks ago, a couple of U.S. Navy and research boats in the area? They must be planning some test or something right here. That would explain why the OSI is involved. OSI? That's something I didn't figure on. Listen, Maddox, just give me and Joe our share. We're getting out of here, fast. You're not going anywhere. Maddox, what are you doing with that gun? I'm going to get rid of these two. Two less witnesses and that much more for us. Brick, you with me? Yeah, I'm with you. Ortez? No, no more kidding. And Ortez leaps at Maddox, but is shot down. Turning to the divers, Maddox fires again, dropping one of them. And now, smart guy, I'm taking care of you. No, you don't. It's Austin. Get him. Maddox fires at Steve, but Steve moves too fast for him, and the bionic man is on the two treasure hunters in a flash. They fight back desperately, but are no match for the power of his fists. In minutes, the struggle is over, just as a Haitian police boat and a U.S. research vessel with Oscar Goldman aboard pull alongside. Steve, got your radio message from the beach. You okay? Oscar, didn't expect to see you. Sure, I'm okay. What happened here? We heard shots. Maddox started to shoot up his own men before taking off a break in this Spanish treasure. So this is what they're after all along. And we'd have made it if it hadn't been for you, Austin. How'd you get away from Mongo? Takes more than rope and a little voodoo to hold me, friend. But the Haitian police have the right jail to hold these characters. They don't approve of treasure hunting and murder in their waters. And in the unlikely event they ever get out of Haiti, the U.S. government has a little case of murder and sabotage against them. Well, that wraps it up. By the way, Steve, how did you get out of the book? Mm, warm tropical breezes moon shining down, romantic jungle drums in the distance. You ever see a better night for a moonlight swim? Our second story for today in our podcast is called Operation Deep Freeze. Hope you like it. at Prudhoe Bay in Arctic, Alaska, they roll. Across the frozen tundra, over snow-covered mountains and icy rivers, 800 miles south to Valdez, the big trucks returning for supplies for the great Trans-Alaska Pipeline, which will bring vitally needed oil to energy-hungry America. Man, am I looking forward to a nice hot bath and a big, juicy steak. You can say that again, K-4. Hey, gonna see you down at Joe's place, huh? Oh, there's a chick I'd like you to... <laughs> Thanks, pal. But I'm taking a rain check on that. Gotta get up early for tomorrow's run. Okay, catch you on the flip-flop. That K-4 sure is one hot shot. <laughs> yeah, but he's okay. Bad curb down the hill a ways. Better cool it, Mike. Right, hey, what the? What's the matter? The brakes, they're not working. Try the emergency. It's no use, it's gone. We'll never make it. Oh, God! 
Back in Washington, a worried Oscar Goldman listens to Air Force General Maxwell Bond. Listen, Goldman, the new early warning system we're testing at Prudhoe keeps breaking down. I don't understand it. Our best scientists worked on that for over a year. Well, something's wrong, and I want to know what. So far, nobody's coming up with answers. I can assure you, General, that my man in the area... Hello? Goldman here. What? How'd it happen? All right. I'll get a new man up there fast. That was Alaska. My undercover man, Mike Colton, was killed in a truck accident. That makes the third man I've lost, and it's beginning to look like these aren't just accidents. Excuse me a minute, General. Ms. Wilson, get Steve Austin over here fast. Yes, Mr. Goldman. I gotta leave. Keep me posted, Goldman. One hour later. And that's the story, Steve. Looks to me like it might be sabotage. I want you to get up there to Valdez and sign on as a truck driver. But you know how extreme cold affects me, Oscar. No problem. Rudy worked up a little gadget he can attach to your bionics in 30 minutes that'll keep you functioning in the coldest weather. Anyway, it'll still be summer up there for a little while. It is one week later, on the waterfront at Valdez. Hey, you know that new guy that signed on a few days ago? Sanders? Yeah. He was asking a lot of questions about Prudo. Seemed pretty anxious to make the whole 800-mile run up there. Got a feeling he may be one of those... Yeah, me too. And I ain't taking any chances. We're too close to the payoff. I've arranged another little accident. Oh, fix the brakes? Nah, but when Sanders gets up about 100 miles from Prudo, he's going to make like a Boy Scout helping a little old lady cross the street. You handle this rig better than anyone I know, Sanders, and I know them all. Nothing. Got a little practice in the service. Another few hours and we'll be at the Prudhoe base. And that's what I call... This is KY-17. KY-17. Calling anyone. Come in, anyone. Let me take that. This is TR-7. What's the problem? Man, am I glad to hear you, TR-7. Rick slipped off the road. Driver injured. Where are you? About 100 miles south of Prudhoe, moving north. You're right on. Keep coming a couple of more miles and look for us on the right. Over and out. In the summer, this is bad country to get stuck in. Yeah, I knew a guy that froze to death out here in an hour. Hey, I think I see something. Hey, that's it. About a quarter of a mile up. But as Steve pulls over toward the disabled truck, his keen eye catches sight of someone holding a gun on the other side of an apparently unconscious driver slumped over the wheel. Listen, Bill, don't get out. But, but what? Somebody with a gun. It's a trap. Hijacking? Out here? Just do what I say and stay down. Keep the motor running. Steve gets out on the driver's side, but instead of walking out toward the disabled truck, pushes his hat out on the end of a stick. Instantly, the gunman fires. Got him. Sign her up. Let's get out of here. Sanders, you okay? Yeah, but I'd like to catch those guys. Let's go. We ain't never going to catch them. That's one of those souped-up jobs. I guess you're right. I don't get it. What were they after? Why us? Beats me. Maybe we'll get a line on them at Prudhoe. Exactly what I wanted to do all along. They may lead me to where the action really is. It is later that night in the plush offices of F. Arnold Chalmers, president of Teletronics Incorporated, a giant electronics manufacturing complex in a secluded area north of Seattle. What's the word from our man in Valdez? Uh, he's all set, uh, just waiting for word from you. Yeah, then it's time to move. I got a $15 million investment to protect, and I'm not going to let that Computronics outfit get the final contract. Uh, the word is that General Bond is getting pretty fed up with them. Well, this time we're going to make it look like their system is so dangerous he'll cancel them and sign up with us. Wouldn't Computronics be surprised to know that Ramsey, the man in charge of their whole operation, is really working for us? Call Valdez and tell our operative to give the okay for the final move at Prudhoe. What exactly are you planning? 
The only thing left, the final convincer. There's going to be another accident, only this time the whole early warning system is going to blow up. Meanwhile, Steve had arrived at the Pruto base, found the truck used in the assassination attempt, and got a lead on the would-be killers. It is the next morning, and he is reporting to Oscar. And I think I'm onto something, Oscar. The guys who tried to gun me down on the road just finished meeting with the guy they called Ramsey. During the conversation, one of them made a phone call, came back and said something to Ramsey, and then he took off. Who's Ramsey? I don't know, but he headed for the test installation. I'm going to follow him as soon as I hang up. I'll run a computer check on him in the meantime. Good luck. Borrowing a jeep, Steve takes the road to the test base, located a few miles out. But just as he leaves... Blinky, did you see that guy in the jeep? It's Sanders. Then we didn't get him. No, and now I'm sure he's a fed, and he's on to us. We gotta stop him before he's on to Ramsey and blows the whole thing. We'll take the other jeep. Meanwhile, Ramsey reaches the base, enters the small building housing the complex electronic and laser components which constitute the heart of the new early warning system. While his two assistants are busy monitoring incoming data, he moves quickly to the master control console and starts changing the dial settings. Hey, Ramsey, what are you doing? Look at the readings. You'll blow the place up. Hey, what's with the gun? I hate to do this, but I have no choice. I've got to blow this place up, and you two will have to go with it. I don't understand. At least you might tell us why. It's a long story, but it means one million dollars to me. And... Nothing but me, brother. As Steve bursts in, Ramsey whirls and fires. But his aim is erratic, and the shot goes wild. You got here just in time. Who are you, mister? Never mind. Just get those dials. Don't touch those dials. Suddenly, the two gunmen appear at the door. Uh, don't move, Sanders, or whatever your name is. Now, up against the wall. All of you. Blinky, help Ramsey up. Oh, what hit me? Never mind. Did you fix it so the place blows? Yeah, it'll go any minute now. Let's get out of here. Okay. Ta-ta, Mr. Government Man. The gunman glances toward the door, but in the fraction of a second he takes his eye off Steve, the bionic man explodes into action. The gunmen, both tough street fighters, fight back ferociously, but the super speed and the super strength of bionic power are too much for them, and it's over. Quick, the dials. One of the technicians races to the control panel and turns the dials just in time to prevent a disastrous explosion. Phew, one more second and we'd have been goners. Well, with Ramsey out of the picture, there shouldn't be any more of those accidents on this project. Say, can I reach Washington on that phone? Sure. Special hookup. And that wraps it up, Oscar. Good work, Steve. Uh, Steve? Yeah? I hope you won't mind, pal, but I've got another assignment for you. Oh, but Oscar, I... I want you to go down to Hawaii. Hawaii? And keep Jamie Summers company for a week. She's on vacation and she's bored. What do you say, pal? You know I never turned down an assignment, no matter how tough, pal. Our third story is called To Win an Oscar. You're listening to Couch and Coffee Table.
It is 1.15 in the afternoon at the headquarters of the OSI in Washington. Oscar Goldman, top man in this top security science organization, sits at his desk staring at the pile of scientific reports and administrative paperwork in front of him. What a mess. All these reports to read, requisitions to make, memoranda to send out, paperwork, paperwork, paperwork. Why didn't I go into something simple like car washing or... Miss Wilson, has Colonel Austin called in yet? No, he hasn't, Mr. Goldman. Well, as soon as he does, tell him I want to see him. I'll be here all afternoon. Yes, sir. Yeah, what I need is a vacation. Get away from this place. Some nice, quiet place in the country. No reports, no people, no telephone. Hello, Goldman here. Oscar, this is Steve. Steve, I'm glad you called. I want to see you. Thought you'd be in by now. Couldn't make it. Car broke down. Your voice sounds strange. Something wrong, Steve? I'm on something hot, really hot, Oscar. Got to see you right away. Can you make it? Well, I've got a lot of work here, but if it's that urgent... It is. Okay, where are you? I'm at the Starcrest Motel on 95, just south of the city. My car's in a small garage across the street. You can't miss the place. And Oscar, don't tell anyone where you're going. This is too big to take chances. Okay, Steve, I'll just slip out the private entrance. Wasting no time, Oscar gets into his car and turns on the ignition. Suddenly, he feels the cold steel of a gun barrel pressed against the back of his neck. Hey, what is this? Just take it easy and do what you're told, and no one gets hurt. If it's my money you want... We're after a lot more than that, Mr. Gold. You know my name. I don't understand. You will in due time. In the meantime, just act natural as we move out past the guard and take Route 95 south. Don't tell me. The Starcrest Motel. <laughs> right. You catch on fast. Oh, boy. Suckered in by a two-bit imitation of Steve's voice. I knew it sounded peculiar. Enough of the small talk. You just drive and no tricks. I'm right behind you with this 38. A little while later, Ms. Wilson is busy at the reception desk in Oscar's outer office at OSI headquarters. And we're going to the concert after dinner. Oh, yes, he's very nice. And I'll talk to you. Hi, Colonel Austin. Hi, Ms. Wilson. Is Oscar in? Yes, he is, and he's expecting you. I was about to bring this sandwich and coffee into him. I'll open the door for you. Thank you. Hi, Oscar. Got some lunch for you. Oscar? I thought you said he was here, Ms. Wilson. Well, he was. And he said he had so much work, he, he couldn't even take time to go out for lunch. I must have got an emergency call or something. He told me to hold all calls. The only call I put through was when you called a little while ago. I thought... Me? I didn't call today. You didn't? Then who? I don't know. And I don't like it. Somebody's baiting a trap for him. But the trap has already been sprung. And soon the car carrying Oscar and his captors approaches the Starcrest. Okay, Mr. Goldman. Just up ahead. They're on the right. Pull in slow. That's it. Now walk nice and easy, like we're old friends. Good. In you go. Very good. Here we are, Mr. Weldon. Now look at these papers he had on him. Looks like plans for a missile or something. Hmm. Good work, Duke. Nice to see you, Goldman. Weldon, what is this? It's exactly what it looks like. A kidnapping. You? One of the country's top bionic scientists? A bionic scientist without a job and without any chance of getting one. Thanks to you. You were fired because of psychological instability. And what you're doing now proves how right I was. Look, Weldon, call it off while there's still time and I'll just forget... I'm giving the orders now, Goldman. But first, I'm going to offer you a deal you can't resist. Like what? Like 
you give me six million dollars. Six million? Yeah, six million dollars has a nice, warm, familiar ring to it, doesn't it? You know I can't get that kind of money. You'll find a way. And in return, dear friend, I'll give you... Yeah? ...your life. Now, isn't that generous of me? Even if I could get the government to pay that kind of money... You will. You'll never get away with it. If I was smart enough to design half the bionics in your friend Steve Austin, you can bet your life I'm smart enough to have planned my getaway down to the last detail. Okay, what do you want me to do? That's better. As soon as it's dark, we're taking you out to a nice, quiet place in the country. Just what I've been dreaming of. Just before we leave, we're going to call Colonel Austin. Steve, why drag him into it? Oh, you might say, for old time's sake. And here's what we'll do. It is nine o'clock that night. A worried Steve Austin is waiting in his apartment for some word about his best friend's disappearance. Hello? Hello? Steve Austin? Yeah? Who's this? Never mind. Just listen. If you want to see your friend Oscar Goldman alive, you get six million dollars. Six million? Tonight? How? Your friend will tell you. Here he is. It's me, Steve. Oscar, you all right? Yeah, I'm all right. Listen, Steve, call Smith at Treasury. He'll see that you get the money. At this hour? He just happens to be working late tonight, and he can do it. But, Oscar... That's it. You heard the man. Get the money and bring it out here. Where is here? You know the Starcrest Motel on 95? Yeah, I know it. Exactly 30 miles south of the Starcrest, there's a dirt road on the right. Six miles up that road, there's an old abandoned mill. Get out of your car with the money and wait. You have exactly four hours, and if anyone's with you or even near you, Goldman's a dead man. While Steve races against time in a deadly game where the prize is life itself, Weldon and his accomplice drive out to the abandoned mill with their prisoner and wait for the delivery of the ransom. It's a perfect spot. Uh, sorry we had to tie you up, Goldman, but we can't risk your interfering with the special reception I'm planning for Steve Austin. That rifle, you're going to kill him. Kill him? Oh, no. That would be letting him off too easy. I'm just going to have Duke here use this specially designed laser rifle to melt down his bionic arm and legs, which I helped create. But why? Do you think I have forgotten that it was his testimony that convinced you to fire me? He helped take my job from me. I'm just taking back what I gave him. Simple justice, that's all. And I suppose you're going to kill me. Only if Austin doesn't show up in time and it's getting late. You've got exactly five minutes. You're crazy. You'll never make it. I have a fast jet waiting on a landing strip just a little way over the hill. Can't miss. Weldon, there's a car coming. Must be Austin. Lucky thing for you, Goldman, your time was almost up. Put the gag on him, Duke, and get behind that tree with a rifle. Austin? Yeah? I'm Austin. Walk up here slow. Come into my car lights where I can see you. That's it. Is the money in the bag? The whole six million. Throw it up here. Just as Steve throws the bag, his super sharp eye catches sight of the rifle aimed at him from behind the tree. With one mighty leap, he gets out of the line of fire and away from the car lights. In seconds, he reaches the gunman. I'll take that gun. Well then, pal. This will take care of you. Now for your friend. Well, 
But Weldon, having just picked up the money bag and realizing the danger he is in, jumps into his car and roars away. Oscar. Oscar, where are you? Oscar, thank God you're all right. Here, let me get that gag off and untie you. Yeah, that's better. But Weldon, he's getting away. Is that the same Weldon who worked on me? Right, and he's got a plane waiting just over the hill. Maybe we can catch him in your car. Too late for that. But I'll take a shortcut through the woods. Wait here. With his powerful bionic legs driving like pistons, Steve Austin races through the woods and reaches the landing strip just as the small jet revs up and begins to move. Putting on a final burst of speed, he catches up with it, seizes the tail, and with the great strength of his bionic arm, tips it over on its side. Suddenly, the plane catches fire. Weldon, jump out, quick! The door opens and a dazed Weldon staggers out, stumbles and falls unconscious to the ground, money bag clutched in his hand. Steve grabs him and pulls him to safety just as the plane explodes with a roar. Later, back in Oscar's office. What a shame. Weldon was a brilliant scientist. Now he'll have to spend years in jail. He was a brilliant scientist, all right, but I didn't know what a ham actor he was. To think I'd fall for his crummy imitation of your voice. Oh, I don't know. His performance couldn't have been that bad. It was almost good enough to win an Oscar. Our final story for today is called The Loch Ness Syndrome. I'll be back after this with a final word. It is a clear, sunny morning in September as Oscar Goldman and Steve Austin drive out of Washington toward the airport. Is the press latched on to the story yet, Oscar? I don't know. Let's see what's on the air. And that's the latest on the situation in Europe. Now for the weather. Sunny and clear from Florida to Hatteras today and tomorrow. Winds gentle from the... Ladies and gentlemen, I've just been handed this bulletin. A converted Coast Guard cutter, the Coral Isle, engaged in marine research in the South Atlantic, was reported lost today in the Bermuda Triangle, notorious as the graveyard of ships and planes. Nothing is known of the circumstances under which the vessel sank. There was one survivor, but his condition is so grave that little hope is held out for his recovery. And now, back to the weather and sports. Well, they've got the story all right. What there is of it. Yeah, and I suppose we're going to get the usual load of devil theories and speculation about UFOs that always come up when anyone mentions the Bermuda Triangle. you got to admit there's something mysterious about this one. The satellite weather pictures showed no clouds over that area in the past couple of days. The weather was perfect, so we know that the Coral Isle wasn't lost in the storm. Well, I'm hoping you come up with some answers when you get down to Norfolk and interview the one survivor. Has he said anything yet? Not really. He was picked up in a state of shock 200 miles off the coast by a Coast Guard cutter. He was babbling incoherently all the way back in the helicopter that took him off the cutter. Something about a sea monster. Sea monster? Funny how that story never seems to die. Yeah, there was a report just a few days ago by a couple of kids who claimed they saw one off the Florida coast. I can discount that one, but this man we picked up is a marine biologist, Dr. Niels Holgren. Holgren? I know him. He's a friend of mine. I know that, and that's why I'm sending you down there. Maybe you can get through to him and get a line on this underwater UFO. Later, in a room at the hospital in Norfolk. 
How's he doing, Doctor? Still in a deep comatose state, Colonel. Comes out of it periodically, but obviously hallucinating. Okay if I stay with him? Of course. I'll check in again in a little while. Nils, it's me, Steve. Can you hear me? It's close. Coming closer. 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 Oh, uh, Steve? Steve Austin? Yeah, Nils, it's me. Take it easy now. It's all right. Listen, Steve. It looked like a... like a... But he gets no further. A man dressed in an orderly's uniform opens the door, fires two shots, turns and runs, slamming the door behind him. Steve chases after him, but the fake orderly escaped in the confusion of the busy corridor, and Steve returns to his friend's room. The doctor is at Neil's bedside. How is he, doctor? Sorry, Colonel. He's dead. Later that day, in a huge cavern hidden in the depths of an isolated island in the center of the Bermuda Triangle, Colonel Gerhard von Krauss surveys the massive array of electronic equipment before him. Finally, I am ready. It is over 30 years since I went into hiding rather than surrender. 30 years of working and planning and struggling. And now, at last. Who is it, Schmidt? It's Fortress here, Colonel. He's back from the mainland. Send him up at once. Well, Sergeant? Got him, Colonel. He won't do any talking. And now there are no survivors, no witnesses. Just like it's been with all the other ships and planes that intruded into our domain. Did anyone follow you? There was someone in the room, but I lost him easy. Good. Schmidt, check all missiles and have them in firing position. We begin Operation America in 24 hours. Back in Norfolk, we find Steve and Oscar in the Commandant's office in the Navy Yard. I arranged for us to meet here with Captain Billings of Naval Intelligence, Steve, as soon as I got your call from the hospital. Took the first plane I could get. I was there when they brought Dr. Holgren in, Colonel Austin, and heard his delirious talk about the sea monster, and I don't doubt he saw something pretty frightening. I think he was trying to tell me what the thing that sank the Coral Isle looked like, but he never did get the chance. Well, all I can say is that this is the first sea monster I ever heard of that sent men ashore to do its killing. Captain Billings, I've been looking at this map of the area, figuring the drift that carried Nils to the spot where he was picked up. My guess is that the Coral Isle was hit by the monster, or whatever it was, somewhere near this island. That's Ghost Island. Nothing but a huge, uninhabited rock in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing there. It's so worthless, no government has even bothered claiming sovereignty. Just the same, I'd like to go have a look-see. Do you have any kind of armed ship in the area that might look like another research vessel? We do have an older type cutter about three hours sailing time from it. Carry some pretty good guns. Can you arrange for a copter to set me down on that ship and authorize the captain to go into those waters? It's pretty dangerous for shipping in that area under the best of conditions, but it can be arranged. Uh, who knows? Maybe the ship will look like a real nice meal to a hungry sea monster. Well, we're almost there, Colonel Austin. Ghost Island is about five miles due east. Pretty rough out here. Does the wind always come up that suddenly, Captain? It's not unusual. It's one of the factors that make the area so treacherous for navigation. Bridge, Captain Bailey speaking. Olson here, Captain. Got a sonar reading. Large object three miles ahead, approaching at ten knots. Okay, Olson. All hands, battle stations. All hands, battle stations. Stand by. Visibility is down to less than half a mile. It's going to be hard. Wait to... a minute. Got something. Where? Fifteen degrees to starboard. Good Lord. It's a sea monster. 
Nils was right. On a collision course. Look at that thing. Must be 80 feet long and a huge gaping mouth breathing fire. It's big enough to... Well, I'll be. Captain, that so-called monster's got two torpedo tubes in its mouth. And here come the torpedoes. Helsman, hard to port. Engine room, full power. As the cutter takes evasive action, its guns fire and score direct hits on the attacker, while the torpedoes speed harmlessly past. Meanwhile, observing the battle on specially constructed TV screens inside his island fortress, Colonel Krauss is furious. That ship was a decoy, and that means others will come. We are changing our timetable. Set missiles one, two, and three to fire in exactly 30 minutes. Targets, Washington, Chicago, and New York. 30 years of hard work will not go to waste. I will have the satisfaction of destroying the cities as our cities were destroyed in 1945. As you wish, Colonel. Having lost communication with the U-40, we must assume it has been lost or damaged beyond repair. Prepare the U-22 for immediate departure. All personnel are to board within 20 minutes. I will push the missile button myself, and then we will sail for our base off the Argentine coast. Preparations proceed at a furious pace and are almost completed when suddenly the alarm goes off. Look, it's two of our men from the U-40. It was a trap, Colonel. Attack! Yes, you fools! And you may have led them here! At that moment, Steve and a party of men from the cutter appear. You're so right, Colonel. And very considerate of them. Americans! Kill them! Kill them! But the element of surprise is on the side of Steve and the men from the cutter. The occupants of the fortress throw down their weapons and surrender. All but Colonel Krauss, who positions himself at the master console, activates the complex of missile controls and shouts over the speaker system. Don't move, anyone! Or I push the self-destruct button. For God's sake, Colonel, we all be killed and for what? All is lost. You are a coward, Schmidt. I will show you how to die like a true German officer. But first, I will launch the missiles that will destroy New York, Chicago, and Washington. <laughs> With the lives of all hanging in the balance, he moves his hands toward the death-dealing controls. But in the second he looked down, Steve Austin, summoning up every ounce of power in his bionic legs, leaps a full 30 feet across the room, knocking the half-crazed colonel away from the controls and quickly aborts the missile launches. But the red light for the self-destruct remains on. Schmidt, quick, how do you turn this thing off? There's no way. It is different circuit, a different explosive, and irreversible. It will go off in three minutes. You fools! You are trapped like us! <laughs> it's the quickest way out of here, Schmidt. Come, follow me. They run down a corridor to a concealed subterranean landing and jump into a couple of high-powered speedboats. Starting up the motors, they roar out into the ocean, just as the first of a devastating series of explosions goes off, killing Krauss and Blotter. So I thought I'd come down and pick you up at the airport myself before the reporters got at you. I appreciate the service, Oscar. I've been wondering, Steve. Why did Krauss bother with that whole monster masquerade? Guess he figured that if any of his shipwrecked victims did get away, it'd be better to have the authorities looking for a mythical creature that could be living anywhere under the water, rather than a plain, ordinary, everyday submarine, which would have to have a base somewhere nearby. Shades of Jules Verne and Captain Nemo. Hey, Oscar. I'm hungry. Let's stop at that burger joint up ahead and have something to eat. Okay with me, pal. What do you have? How about a monster burger, pal?
All right, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. We appreciate you stopping by and listening in with us here on the couch, and we hope you'll keep coming back. If you enjoyed this episode, please check out some of the other episodes we have to offer, as well as new episodes, which are uploaded every Monday and Wednesday. We are listener-supported, as we have always been, by you, the listeners. We thank you, one and all, for your support. Next week will be the month of May, and it will be sci-fi. We kind of did an early science fiction kickoff with our $6 million man week this week, but we're going to go full bore into sci-fi for next week. There's going to be some more power records, but we're going to take a couple of weeks and step away from power records just for a moment. To honor May the 4th, I decided that it would it would be nice to do some Star Wars. And so I found some uh, kids records, which had about a 40-minute adaptation overall of each one of the Star Wars movies. And we're going to be kicking that off next Monday with the story of Star Wars. It's got original dialogue, sound effects, and music, plus a narrator from for the uh for the film, the original Star Wars film. This was done back in 1977. And the next three after that, there'll be a individual Star Wars episode that happened uh, in between A New Hope and Empire. And then the following week, we will do Empire and Jedi and wrap them up. So please come back and check us out as next week, we're going to be doing Star Wars. This has been Couch and Coffee Table. Until next time, be good to yourself.